Our text today is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 29. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Last Lord's Day, we considered the role of the husband as the divinely appointed leader within the marriage. His leadership comes not from his physical strength to keep his wife in check or from his threats to frighten her into submission, but rather his leadership comes from the Most High God. Thus, use of physical force and threats do not establish a man's lawful authority in the marriage. If anything, to the contrary, they lead to a disrespect for his authority. For it is not might that gives the right to rule. It is God's appointment that gives the right to rule. As God himself says through his inspired apostle in Ephesians 5.23, where the, the apostle Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There the Lord says that the husband is the head of the wife. Thus, husbands... Let us not look to the world, whether to movie stars, whether to TV personalities, whether to military leaders or political leaders, to find examples of leadership that we should follow in loving and in leading our wives. Rather, let us look to the Lord Jesus Christ who is a sinless and perfect example of leadership. Let us imitate his courage in standing for the truth. Let us imitate his service in ministering to his bride, the church, not only at the expense of his own comfort, but even at the expense and cost of his own life. Let us also imitate his care and his protection for his bride, the church, and his faithfulness to keep his covenant with her. But how is a husband to maintain, then, the divine authority given to him by God to lead in his marriage if it is not by physical force or by verbal threats? Men, we are to be an example an example to our wives of Christ. And such an example that our wives see Christ in our leadership, through our love and affection, through our protection, through our self-sacrificing service, through our courage, through our faithfulness, and even through our correction when that is necessary. Husbands, if we want 
to rid the word submission or the word authority of all the negative connotations those words might have in the eyes of our own wives, let us continue to grow by God's grace in our imitation of Christ as our leader. Let us pour out our hearts to the Lord that he would make us leaders like our Savior. Men, you do not have to struggle with your wife for authority in your marriage. Why? Because it was not your wife that gave to you that authority in the first place. But rather God himself who gave to you that authority. A wife's opposition or lack of submission to her husband's authority does not alter who is God's divinely appointed leader in the home any more than man's opposition or lack of submission to God alters his authority in the least. Thus, lawful authority is rightfully maintained in your marriage not by being a bully or going to the opposite extreme of being a coward, but by being an example to her of Christ. Husbands, your example is the ordinary way by which God's Spirit will affect a willing, a willing and a cheerful spirit in the heart of your wife in following you as you lead her into the paths of righteousness and truth. That's the ordinary way. It's to set an example before her. Let her see more and more and more of Christ in your life rather than merely hearing more and more of Christ upon your lips. This Lord's Day, we move on to consider in greater detail the duty of husbands to love their wives. The Apostle Paul leaves husbands with two models to imitate in loving their wives. First, <clears throat> Christ's love for the church in Ephesians 5, 25-27. And the second model is that of a husband's love for his own body, his own flesh. Ephesians 5, verses 28-29. Let's consider the first model first model that we husbands should follow in loving our wives is Christ's love for the church. In Ephesians 5, 25-27, look with me at those verses at this time. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Here Paul draws attention to the fact that Christ is the Savior and the sanctifier of, of his bride, the church. He did not save his bride because she was attractive, because she was holy already, because she was respectful already, or because she was pleasing to him already. To the contrary, dear ones, we were ungodly, ugly due to our own sin, disrespectful and displeasing to our heavenly bridegroom in every possible way. We were not saved because of anything good within us, but because of his undeserving love, which was freely and abundantly showered upon us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In Romans chapter 5, the freeness of this gift is made very, very clear. Romans 5, verses 6 through 10. Listen carefully. 
to our condition when the Lord set his love upon us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus Christ, dear ones, has purchased the church unto himself by laying down his life and suffering the infinite wrath of God for her in order to pay the infinite debt due to us for our sin. In Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it laying down his life for the church. But he also continues the work he has begun by sanctifying his church and gradually making his church more and more and more holy. And he does so throughout her entire pilgrimage here upon the earth. Until he comes again, at which time he will make her entirely pure. And she will be without spot and without blemish before him. We read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, concerning this work which the Lord is accomplishing in his church, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to quit. He's not going to grow weary and give up. He's going to continue to perfect his bride until that final day. Likewise, we find in Ephesians 5.26 about the sanctifying work of the Lord in his church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Dear ones, we not only look to Christ alone in faith for our justification, but we are also look to Christ alone in faith for our sanctification. For you see, dear ones, the goal toward which our justification and sanctification are directed is no less than conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. Conformity to the image of Christ. It is absolutely certain that all those who are declared righteous in Christ by faith alone will be perfectly conformed to his moral nature. In that final day. How does he accomplish our sanctification? Well, he changes us by the power of the Holy Spirit within. He uses the appointed means of grace in our lives. The word of God. This is what the, the Holy Spirit will use to conform us to the image of Christ. The word of God. The Bible. He'll use also prayer. Our calling upon him. And are beseeching him, are giving thanks to him, prayer, and the sacraments. The sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. These are the means that God ordinarily uses to conform us to his own image. <clears throat> Here we see <clears throat> baptism, which signifies and seals the promises of God's forgiveness and grace mentioned in the washing, it says, of regeneration. 
And we also see the word of God, which declares the promises of God's forgiveness and grace. These are both specifically mentioned in Ephesians 5.26. We are to use these means and all means that God has given. And the Lord uses these in our lives to conform us to his image. So why then is our sanctification hindered at times? A major cause, I would submit, is that we are not availing ourselves of his appointed means of grace, as we ought. We are either ignoring the means of grace, neglecting them, not using them, We may be disbelieving that Christ actually does use the means of grace to conform us to his image. So unbelief or doubt. Or we are expecting the mere means of grace in and of themselves to bring blessing instead of Christ using them to bring his blessing. So we're looking to the means of grace as being the power rather than looking to the Holy Spirit being the power that uses these as one would wield a sword. It's not the sword that has the power. It's the one who wields it. It's not the sacraments or the means of grace that have the power, but the one who wields it. It's God. By his spirit, he uses them. Dear ones, be faithful, therefore, in the right use of the word and sacraments and prayer and look in faith to Christ to give you the grace you need and the grace that he has promised. Paul has at this point brought before husbands the model of Christ to imitate, not because husbands can actually save or sanctify their wives. That is the work of God. No husband present here has the power to change the life. Not only cannot change their own life, but cannot change the life of their wife. But God has given this example of Christ as Savior and Sanctifier in order to leave for husbands a pattern to follow. For just as Christ so loved and cared for his bride that he gave himself for her salvation and for her sanctification in a similar manner, not the same manner, but in a similar manner, a husband is to love his wife and her eternal soul so much that he becomes a divinely appointed means which God may use to bring her to salvation and to sanctification in Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16, says, the Apostle Paul speaking here to Christians in Corinth, to married couples in particular, and to married couples in particular in this passage, where one was a Christian One was not. One was a believer and one was an unbeliever. Notice what he says. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, that is, be the means by which God saves your husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife or be the means by which God would save your wife? Thus, Paul brings forth the example of Christ so as to impress us husbands that love for our wives is first manifested in our spiritual care and nourishment for them. That's the first thing that we see. If we are to pattern our lives, husbands, if we are to pattern our love, if we are to pattern our leadership after Christ, it will be, first of all, in the area of the spiritual realm, in our love and our help for our wives. Husbands should not only focus upon the spiritual well-being of their wives, as we shall see, 
That will be in the second model, that we're to love our wives as our own bodies, that we do have a care for, for them outwardly, physically as well. But this focuses upon their spiritual needs. There is certainly a priority here inasmuch as the body will perish, but the soul will either pass into glory at death or into eternal torment at death. This implies many duties on the part of a husband in loving his wife as he ought. Let's consider just very briefly a few of these spiritual duties toward that he owes toward his wife in showing his love for her. First of all, a loving husband will fervently pray for the salvation and sanctification of his wife. For he will acknowledge that he himself is powerless to change and to transform his wife. Men, how much time do you spend in praying for your wives? Perhaps we don't even know how to pray more specifically for them because we don't spend enough time with them to find out what their needs are. We don't know their struggles. We don't know their temptations. We don't know their victories because we're not spending time with them. We're not allotting time with them. We may be diligent to pray for the needs of others, dear ones, but we ought to be especially diligent to pray for the needs of our own wives, for we are more nearly and closely joined together with them than with anyone else on the face of this earth. We are one flesh with them. Secondly, a loving husband will endeavor by God's grace, as we've said, to set an example of Christ before her in the way he speaks to her and in the way he behaves to her. If our wives, dear ones, do not know that they are special to us by the way we speak to them and by the way we behave to them, that we prize them and treasure them above all other earthly possessions. And that we give honor to them, as Peter states in 1 Peter 3, 7. Peter commands us there to honor our wives, husbands. And if we don't honor them by the way we speak to them, and the way we behave to them, then how will our wives ever see Christ as head of the church at all in what we do and what we say? They should be seeing Christ and his leadership in the church through our example. What kind of a leadership are they seeing by our example? Thirdly, a loving husband will realize the necessity of prayer and studying the scripture if he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. For he knows that he cannot love her as he ought. He cannot speak to her as he ought. He cannot lead her as he ought. And he cannot set a godly example before her as he ought, apart from the power of God's Spirit actively working in his life. Men, our own haphazard approach to secret worship is indirectly a sin against our own wives. For we are not leading by our example if we are shirking our duty in secret worship. And we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to love and to lead them if we ourselves are not being filled by having regular secret worship every day. We're doing our wives a disservice. Nor are we truly interested in serving our wives if we do not spend time each day seeking the grace of God to do that which is impossible to man, and that is to love and to lead our wives as Christ loves and leads his own church. Show me a man who takes his duty to love and lead his wife as Christ loves and leads the church. And he takes that duty seriously, and I will show you a man is spending time in prayer each day praying for the grace he needs to be faithful not perfect but to be faithful in his duties to his wife fourthly 
A loving husband will take the time to humbly instruct his wife and answer her questions about the word of God. He will be growing in the knowledge of God himself so that he can as well instruct his wife. He will be courageous in the truth and patient in explaining the truth. If it takes 70 times 7 to explain a particular point, a particular doctrine, teaching, he will not berate or discourage her, but rather will continue to teach her until she has it down, until she's got it. Consider the Lord's example in patiently instructing you and me. Consider how he instructed the uh, apostles in John 16, 12. Says that he would not he did not give his disciples more than they could bear at that particular point in time. So he withheld certain things from them because he knew they weren't able to bear it right then at that particular point in time. We must have that kind of sensitivity and care. A desire to instruct and teach, but to be in tune to be in tune to what they can bear and handle at that point in time. Husbands, here's our first and primary disciple on the earth, our wives. We're all very interested in evangelism, seeing people come to Christ, and discipling people. But dear ones, dear husbands, our first disciple is our own wife. And from that point on, after our own wife, then there is a husband and a wife, a mother and a father in the home to be able to disciple together the children. The first disciple, though, is your wife. Thus, the necessary duty of the husband to lead his wife and children in daily family worship. To not neglect that duty and that responsibility. Invite the family at a set time each day to join with you. If they choose not to, if, if your wife chooses not to meet with you, you can't tie her up, strap her. You invite her. But if she chooses not to, go ahead and have your own family worship time. Set the example. Fathers, if you love your children and care for the souls of your children, love your wives and spend time discipling them. That is your wives. For it is they that will spend the vast majority of time with your children. Fifthly, a loving husband will encourage his wife when she struggles. He will be like Christ who comes alongside of us. To help us and to stand with us when we feel like falling or about to, to stumble, to land upon the ground, to fall off of a cliff. The Lord comes alongside of us. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. If that's true of a brother, how much more should be true of a husband? Husbands, if we are to love our wives as Christ loved his bride, we must be willing to help them carry their burdens as Christ has helped and does come alongside us to carry our burdens. A wife also needs to hear her husband's encouragement in those duties that she is performing well within the house so that she does not grow discouraged in her work. Particularly if she is not only has household duties, but is working outside the home or has the duty of homeschooling. Our wives need encouragement in that way. Husbands, do unto your wives as you would have your wives do unto you. You want your wife to, bear, to help bear your burdens when you are down? then you be there and set the example by bearing her burdens when she needs you. 
Ultimately, only Christ, dear ones, can carry our burdens. We cannot depend upon our husband or our wife ultimately to carry our burdens. Only Christ can ultimately carry those burdens. But I can tell you what a help it is to have in a marriage a husband and wife who are committed to being those who help to carry those burdens, who stand near, who care, who come alongside to encourage and comfort and to strengthen one another. All the things I'm saying about the husband here certainly are moral principles that would apply to wives as well. I hope that you wives are making as well those applications instead of simply saying in your mind, yeah, my husband's not doing that, 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 that. To realize these are moral duties and responsibilities that, that you wives also bear to your husbands as well. Sixthly, a loving husband will also correct his wife lovingly and gently for her well-being when it is necessary. But not out of anger, not out of resentment, not as an act of vengeance, just as Jesus Christ corrects his bride because he loves her. We should allow love to cover men We should allow love to cover a multitude of sins so that we do not find ourselves continually correcting our wives for even minor irritations. However, when such correction is needed, it should ordinarily be done privately and not for the purpose of embarrassing and hurting the one that is loved. Correction should always be for the purpose of instructing and helping the one that is loved. Respect for the husband's loving leadership. Men will grow, will grow in the wife when she is not publicly shamed and humiliated, but is gently corrected away from the children and away from the crowd. In correcting husbands, husbands in correcting, always look to yourself first and remove the beam from your own eye, as we have stated this principle many times, before trying to remove the speck from your wife's eye. Men, if we do not take the time to build up our wives by encouraging them in that which they are doing within our home, letting them hear how much we appreciate their service, your correction will usually come across as harsh and uncaring. Let this poem that I'm about to recite not be the word that comes from the mouths of our own wives. Oft did I well, and that here I never. Once did I ill, and that here I ever. Seventh, a loving husband will demonstrate his love for his wife by always seeking reconciliation when division has occurred between the two of you. He will humbly repent of his own sins and errors and seek the forgiveness of his wife when he has blown it, when he has sinned against her. And he will joyfully forgive her when she has sinned and has repented of her sin as well. If we are to show a loving leadership In our homes, we must also lead men in the grace of humility. Our leadership must be a humble leadership. We must not allow the sun to set upon our wrath. Like Christ, we must ever have our arms extended, ever extended to our wives, inviting them back into our arms when there is a division that has occurred. There may be many other spiritual duties that we could list here, but here is a good start, husbands, and loving your wives as Christ has loved the church. The second model 
given here by Paul for husbands to follow in loving their wives is a husband's love for his own body. In Ephesians 5, verses 28 through 29, where we read, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. Not only is it the duty of husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but also to love their wives as their own bodies, as their own flesh. Whereas the model of Christ's love for the church focuses primarily upon a husband's spiritual duties to his wife, a husband's love for his own body focuses primarily upon a husband's physical duties to his own wife. In speaking of a man's love for his body, Paul is not addressing some sinful or inordinate love that a man has for himself, but rather a natural love, a God-given love of self-preservation and caring for one's own body that we all should have. That was placed there from the very beginning of creation by God. How are we to love Others, how are we to love ourselves? I mean, how are we to love our neighbor? As we love ourselves. That's the model. That's the the pattern, the paradigm that the Lord Jesus has given to us. Love your, your neighbor as you love yourself. <clears throat> this is a love I would submit to you to that includes feeding, clothing, sheltering, caring for the physical needs of your wives. Paul now is emphasizing to husbands that just as they care for their own bodies and providing for their bodies all that is needful and profitable, so ought they to provide for their wives that which is needful and beneficial to their wives' physical well-being. Why? Because the wife is one flesh with her husband. A husband is to view whatever he does to his wife as that which he does to himself. And whatever he does to himself, he is to view that as in some way relating to what he does to his wife. What duties of love does the model, this model of love compel a husband to perform? Again, let me give you a few examples. First of all, food, clothing, shelter, medical attention, for sure. According to 1 Timothy 5.8, we read, "But, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Number two. Well, before moving on to number two, let me just make this point. A wife shouldn't have to beg her husband for the proper clothing for herself if there is a means to provide it. The same goes for adequate housing, proper hygiene, food, or medical attention. Those things a husband should desire and give cheerfully. Secondly, just as a husband is to spiritually protect his wife from enemies, so that is spiritual enemies, so he is to physically protect her as the weaker vessel. This may not, or this may include not uh, sending her out at nighttime when it is unsafe, sending her out without a cell phone. Having a sense of protection. We don't, husbands have to hover over them and uh, uh, so that uh, they have the sense that we're breathing down their neck every step that they take. But we should have a care for their protection when they go out and seek to make and provide a safe environment for them. 
This certainly, I would suggest, also includes verbal attacks that may come their direction from others, that we should be there to stand with them. Now, if our wives have sinned in some manner, we can't defend the sin, but we can still defend her person. We certainly will encourage her to deal with the sin, even as we protect her person. How common it is in some marriages for husbands to let, let down this shield and to allow their wives to be attacked by various family members. Such things ought not to be in our homes. But it will more likely be the case if the husband himself does not watch his own tongue and his own language toward his wife that he will be more likely to not watch when others use the same kind of language toward his wife. If a husband embarrasses his wife in public or ridicules his wife in public or attacks his wife in public, he ought not to be surprised if others will follow his example and do the same thing. If the person of your wife is to be protected, gentlemen, it must first begin with you protecting her from your own malicious and harsh words and speech. Thirdly, this being the case that the husband is appointed to be his wife's shield and protector, how against nature is the abominable practice of some men to strike, beat, threaten, and abuse their wives, whether verbally or physically? God has stated through the Apostle Peter that because the wife is the weaker vessel, she is to be treated not with less honor, but with more honor. How shameful it is, therefore, to take her who should be under our wing of protection and not only to expose her to outside attacks, but for that pain to be inflicted upon her by the one who has been appointed by God to be her protector. How shameful. Does a man cherish his own body by beating it? Of course not. Then how can he do so to his wife who is one flesh with him? Such is the action not of a loving leader, but that of a bully or a coward. The Lord extols not harshness or violence in the home, but gentleness. In 2 Timothy 2.24, we read, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Gentle unto all men. That may refer to, in particular, ministers, But the principle certainly applies to, I would submit to you, leaders in the home as well as leaders in the church. Such acts of violence should not only receive the just censure of the church, but also the just censure of the civil magistrate. I do recognize there may be certain circumstances in which a husband may need to defend himself, when his wife becomes, and I've certainly been in situations where wives have become violent with their husbands. In such cases, it may be necessary for a husband to defend himself against the violence of his wife, but he doesn't do so by punching his wife, by beating his wife. His first course of action is to get out of the house, not to try to further engage her. Only as a last recourse ought he to try to restrain her only as a last recourse if he can't get out of the house if the way is blocked or something like that fourthly a loving husband will be faithful to his marriage covenant he will evidence a sincere affection for his wife and not just after the lights go off He will seek to know his wife, not simply in the intimate sexual sense of knowing his wife, 
but he will seek to know his wife and her needs. He will seek to know his wife in sharing his affections, talking about the family, spending time with her. He will know his wife there, especially. He will make a covenant with his eyes not to look with lust upon another woman and will seek by God's grace to keep that covenant. Job 31.1 I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think I'm, yeah, why should I think upon a maid? He will not place himself in tempting situations, but will avoid even the appearance of evil. <coughs> He'll not flirt with females. He will not do things that will raise suspicion in his wife's mind as to whether he's being faithful in his mind, in his thoughts, with his eyes. He will flee youthful lusts. He will guard his mind, for that is where the battle of faithfulness must first be won in the mind. And he will guard his eyes from pornography, whether on the internet, in books, in magazines, on television, in movies, and on videos. Husbands, let your faithfulness be realized not only in the physical realm, but especially in the mental realm. Let us learn by God's grace to find full contentment with the wife of our youth. I close, dear ones, with a final word to husbands from William Gouge in regard to the love we should cultivate in our hearts for our wives. Gouge says this, In imitation hereof, husbands should love their wives. That is imitation of Christ. Though there were nothing in wives to move them to do so, but only that they are their wives. Yea, though no future benefit could after be expected from them, true love hath respect to the object which is loved, and the good it may do thereunto, rather than to the subject which loveth, and the good that it may receive. For love seeketh not her own. Love has respect to the object, to the wife, to be loved, and not to the subject. Even if we receive nothing in return, even if there is no reward, love continues to love. Husbands, if these duties do reveal our inadequacies, which I'm sure they do, If they don't, however, I don't know what will reveal to you your inadequacies. If these duties do not send us to Christ every day to be filled with his goodness, filled with his power, his resurrection power, filled with his gentleness, with his love, with his holiness and with his faithfulness, I don't know what will. We can continue only to point our finger at the sins, weaknesses, and inadequacies of our wives and then continue to have either a cold marriage or a hostile marriage. Or we can begin by pointing our finger at ourselves as leaders and fervently call down the grace of God from heaven upon ourselves. First, for God to change us as husbands and then for God to work in the lives of our wives. This is the means, dear ones, this is the means to enjoy a blessed marriage where husbands and wives are friends, not strangers, and not enemies. Let us stand together in prayer. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www. 
swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L 3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.